great to see you this morning, really welcome. I hope you're not too unsettled by the slight change in the order. We just thought that it could be a helpful thing to kind of think about coming together to worship God in singing a bit later on in the service this morning. So I'm going to be talking first. So if you're a regular with us, you'll know that this is our year of biblical literacy. We're looking through the Bibles together, we're looking at the overarching story of God and people. And we've reached the New Testament and we're looking at the life and the death of Jesus and people who knew him and people who heard of him and how they reflected on him. We're in the middle of a mini-series at the moment on Jesus, finding out more about him. You know, when I was a child, if I wanted to find out information, I used to go to my mum and dad's bedroom. So we had something for homework. My mum and dad had um, a long unit on the side of their bedroom with loads and loads and loads of big tomes of the Encyclopedia Britannica. And I think they got them by mail order, because every week or so, you know, the, the last little instalment came through. So woe betide if you needed to know something about wellies, or whales, or witchcraft, or whatever it was, W's, by November, before, before November, because we wouldn't have had that information until then. But of course now, finding out information is so much easier, isn't it? And I thought, if I wanted to find out about Jesus, where would I look? Or where would most people look? Well, my kids, when they come home with homework, where do they look? First thing they do is Google it. So this week, I just quickly Googled Jesus to see what was there. I saw some really nice pictures of him. And also some really interesting questions that people ask about Jesus. What is Jesus' full name? When's his actual birthday? This is a good one. What kind of music did he listen to? And what's his favourite colour? Well, you know, maybe you're here today because you're spiritually seeking. Maybe you're looking for truth. Maybe you're wanting to find out more about Jesus. And if that's you, well, thanks so much for coming. You're so welcome here. Maybe you're someone who's already decided to follow Jesus and you're here today because you want to find out more. You want to find out more about how to line your life up with his to become an apprentice or a follower. And if that kept the case for you, then you're really welcome too. Because here is a place where we can encounter Jesus. And rest assured, we're not going to meet him just through looking at Google and looking at pretty pictures. But instead, in this series that we're calling Simply Jesus, we're going back to eyewitness accounts. We're going back to people who knew Jesus, people who were with him, and people who spent time reflecting on the things that he did. And we're finding that in the Bible. So this little series is called Simply Jesus. And so far, we've looked at Jesus as the teacher, the healer, the saviour, and this week, as Paul alluded, we are looking at Jesus, the revealer. And we've called him that because he reveals or shows us what God is like. And he invites us to respond. And today we're going to look at some characteristics of Jesus as a revealer, what he shows us about God in a particular story in the Bible. Now we're reading from the book of John in the Bible. It's quite a long story, so if you've got a Bible, you might want to pull it up. We're going to be in John chapter 9. But luckily, there was a BBC camera crew around at the time, and they've taken some stills, which we're going to look at. I found this little slideshow online, which I thought was quite fun as I read the story. So you might just want to listen to me reading and look at the pictures. So we're in John, we're in chapter 9, and in my Bible it's called Jesus Heals a Man Born Blind. As he went along, he saw a man blind from birth. His disciples asked him, Rabbi, who sinned, this man or his parents, that he was born blind? Neither this man nor his parents sinned, Jesus said, but this happened so the work of God might be displayed in his life. As long as it's day, we must do the work of him who sent me. Night is coming when no one can work. While I'm in the world, I am the light of the world. 
This is where it gets gross. Having said this, he spat on the ground, made some mud with the saliva, and put it on the man's eyes. Go, he told him, wash in the pool of Siloam. And this word means scent. So the man went and washed and came home seeing. I just love these pictures. There he is with his unusual face mask. He washes it off. And wow, for the first time in his life, he can see. His neighbours and those who'd formerly seen him begging asked, isn't this the same man who used to sit and beg? Some claimed that he was. Others said, no, he only looks like him. But he himself insisted, I am the man. How then were your eyes opened, they demanded. He replied, the man they called Jesus made some mud and put it on my eyes. He told me to go to Siloam and wash. So I went and I washed and then I could see. Where is this man, they asked him. I don't know, he said. They brought to the Pharisees the man who had been born blind. Now, the day on which Jesus had made the mud and opened the man's eyes was a Sabbath. Therefore, the Pharisees also asked him how he received his sight. He put mud on my eyes, the man replied, and I washed and now I see. Some of the Pharisees said, this man is not from God. He doesn't keep the Sabbath. But others asked, how can a sinner do such miraculous signs? So they were divided. Finally, they turned again to the blind man. What have you to say about him? It was your eyes he opened. The man replied, he's a prophet. The Jews still didn't believe that he'd been blind and received his sight until they sent for the man's parents. Is this your son, they asked? Is this the one you say was born blind? How is it that he can now see? We know he's our son, the parents answered, and we know he was born blind. But how he can see now or who opens his eyes, we don't know. Ask him. He's of age, he will speak for himself. His parents said this because they were afraid of the Jews, for already the Jews had decided that anyone who acknowledged that Jesus was the Christ would be put out of the synagogue. That was why his parents said, he is of age, ask him. A second time they summoned the man who had been blind. Give glory to God, they said. We know this man is a sinner. He replied, whether he's a sinner or not, I don't know. One thing I do know, I was blind, but now I see. Then they asked him, what did he do to you? How did he open your eyes? He answered, I've told you already, and you didn't listen. Why do you want to hear it again? Do you want to become his disciples too? Then they hurled insults at him and said, you are this fellow's disciple. We are disciples of Moses. We know that God spoke to Moses, but as for this fellow, we don't even know where he comes from. The man answered, now that is remarkable. You don't know where he comes from, and yet he opened my eyes. We know that God doesn't listen to sinners. He listens to the godly man who does his will. Nobody has ever heard of opening the eyes of a man born blind. If this man were not from God, he could do nothing. To this they replied, you were steeped in sin at birth. How dare you lecture us? And they threw him out. Jesus heard that they'd thrown him out, and when he found him, he said, Do you believe in the Son of Man? Who is he, sir? the man asked. Tell me so I may believe in him. Jesus said, You have now seen him. In fact, he is the one speaking with you. And the man said, Lord, I believe, and he worshipped him. Jesus said, For judgment I've come into this world, so the blind will see, and those who see will become blind. 
Some Pharisees who were with him heard him say this and asked, What? Are we blind too? And Jesus said, If you were blind, you wouldn't be guilty of sin. But now that you claim you can see, your guilt remains. So it's a long and slightly odd story, isn't it? You know, a couple of weeks ago, James and Lynn were talking about Jesus the healer. And although this is a story about healing someone physically, that's not what we're going to be concentrating on today. We will talk about it a little bit. But instead, we're thinking about Jesus as the revealer, what he shows us about God. So in this story, Jesus opens a man's eyes physically, but also he does something spiritually. He opens what some people might say the eyes of his heart. And I love Paul's prayer earlier on that God would kind of open our eyes, would show us what he is doing today. So what does it mean for Jesus to be the revealer, to reveal God to us? Well, the thing is that Jesus shows us what God is really like. You know, maybe if you read certainly the early parts of the, te- of the Bible, the Old Testament, God can maybe sometimes seem a bit distant or inaccessible. There are all kinds of long words about him, but how can we really know what he's like? You know, my husband Nigel isn't here today. He's in Hazelmere in Surrey with a team speaking at a church there. And if you don't know him, I can tell you quite a lot about him. He's about so tall, so tall. He loves good stories. Um, he's musical. He has this dream that when the kids have left home and we retire, we're going to travel around Scotland in a camper van. Um, I prefer kind of going to Thailand, a luxury hotel, but we'll talk about that. But I can tell you about him, and you can get an idea about what he's like. But if you really want to know him, you need to come back next week when he's going to be here. You need to see him in action. You need to listen to him. You need to meet him. And you know, sometimes we have a similar problem with God, don't we? There's a lot of words. There's a lot of description about him. But what does it really mean when we say that he's compassionate or he's just or he's gracious? What does that actually look like? The writers of the New Testament point out something really significant about Jesus. As well as kind of healing and going around doing good, he showed people what Jesus was like. Here are just a couple of the verses that tell us that. No one has ever seen God, but the one and only Son, Jesus, who is himself God and is in closest relationship with the Father, has made him known. Another writer said, The Son is the image of the invisible God. The Son is the radiance of God's glory and the exact representation of his being. That's what is written by the writer of the Hebrews. So God is invisible. But Jesus, who's also God, became a God-man, became God with skin on. He came to earth, he lived among ordinary people so that we could see what God looked like. Now we've got a phrase, haven't we, that we often use, you know, like father, like son, or maybe like mother, like daughter. You know, this week my daughter sent me a photo of some, I have to be careful, I'm going going off on one now, of some custard tarts that were reduced And on it, she said, like mother, like daughter, because she knows that I love custard tarts and I love a bargain. (laughs) And so she, like me, had spotted this in the supermarket and bought them on. And that's the kind of thing that I would have done to share with her. But, you know, if we want to know what... There are family likenesses, aren't there? That's a family likeness for us. Or if you met our boys, you'd discover that they're musical like their dad, like father, like son. And that's an expression of what Jesus is like, like father, like son. And in this passage... About the blind man, Jesus' words and his actions show us something of what God's like. And I've pulled out some highlights. 
The first thing I just wanted to see is that God is with us in the everyday. Jesus was walking along with his friends. And you know, in the Bible, it tells us loads about how he was close to real people. He was a bit of a star in those days. Lots of people followed him. And yet, perhaps they weren't the kind of people that you or I might want in our entourage. They were people who had sicknesses, who had diseases, people who were demon-possessed or epileptic or paralyzed. And yet, they're the people he surrounded himself with, just ordinary people. And it was actually just another ordinary day for that blind man, just sitting there probably begging as usual. That was the way that he would have got his money. But Jesus was around ordinary people. He didn't wait for them to get sorted or cleaned up. He didn't wait for them to jump through hoops until they could see him. He was there and available. And in fact, as you see in this story, he actually went to the guy. And maybe that's a message for you today. That Jesus doesn't wait for us to get sorted out. We don't have to be right before we can come to him. But actually, he comes to meet with us, and he loves to do that, and he longs to do that this morning. God meets us in our suffering and our sickness and our everyday mess, and he sees us like Jesus saw this blind man. You know, one of my favorite names for Jesus is one we often hear about at Christmas. It's the name Emmanuel, which means God with us, the with us God. And when I remember that, wow, doesn't that just change everything? And I wonder if we might just like to take a moment and think about what's happened in this past week. Perhaps you've faced some difficult things. Perhaps you've faced some great things. But what difference does it make to know that the with us God has been with you? Or it might be that you just want to think about the week that's coming. The things that you are afraid of, the things that you're worried about. And just imagine, what will it be like to have the with us God with you? Let's just take a moment and think about that. So God is with us in our everyday. Second thing that I think Jesus shows us about God in this passage is that God wants to display his work in us. Isn't that an amazing concept? You know, the Jewish belief at that time was that people were sick because they'd done something wrong. In fact, in verse 2, that's what the disciples said, didn't they? They said, Rabbi, who sinned, this man, someone in the womb somehow or other, or his parents? that he was born blind, because that's what the belief was. You got punished if you'd done something wrong. And Jesus just blows out of the water, and he says, well, neither. This isn't a sin issue. This man was born blind so that the work of God might be displayed in his life. God's work displayed in us. Now, for this fella, God's work, I think, was twofold. In one thing, it was a physical healing. He got his sight back. But also, it was a spiritual understanding and what does it mean for us? What is it for God's work to be displayed in us? 
I think sometimes it is the wonder of a healing. You know, a few weeks ago, James and Lynn spoke, lots of people were prayed for. And you may have been here right at the end when we were drinking coffee, but you may, may not have been, when Paddy stood up. Now, Paddy had come forward for some prayer because she had some pain in her body. And as she prayed, the pain went. But actually, something really unexpected happened too, because Paddy hadn't been able to see clearly for many years. And as she was prayed for, she was able to see the back of the room. And she hadn't been able to see that clearly for years and years. So as a, a bonus, as a, a, an extra, as well as the pain in her body going, her sight was significantly improved. And I rang her this week and said, how are things? And she said, yeah, there's still a significant improvement. I know that God did something significant. Wow, isn't that amazing? You know, I told you a, a few weeks ago, but maybe a couple of months ago now, about a baby that we'd met who was born blind. And this week, just because I was reading this story, I was in touch with um, his mum, and I said, how are things going? And she said, well, the doctors don't quite know what to do with this, but he can pick up half a blueberry from the tray on his high chair. He can see. He was born blind. He can see. And last week also, people told stories about emotional healing. You know, God connects with us and meets us and encounters us and shows us his, his displays his work in different ways, sometimes through a supernatural thing. But also, do you know, I think that God has displays his work in other ways too. As we said last week, here we are really committed to pray for the sick. We really want to lean into all that God has and seeing his kingdom come here, and that's really important to us. But I just thought it was important to say today that actually the reality is that we don't all live problem-free, pain-free lives, do we? Jesus, in the book, says heal the sick, and yet he also says, in this world you're going to have trouble. And there's a tension here, because on one level we're pushing in for more of God, but the other side of the coin is that there is pain and sickness and suffering. That's the reality. And many of us, I know in this room, are facing trials, maybe in your family, maybe in your workplace, maybe with your health. And you know, if I'm honest, when I hit a challenge or a problem, I just generally want to get through it. And I thought this week, what if I saw the challenges in my life as an opportunity for God to display his work in me? What might that actually look like? The Bible shows us that trials and suffering can actually be a vehicle of transformation that make us more like Jesus and closer to him. Paul in Romans says this really weird thing. He says, we glory in our sufferings because we know that suffering produces perseverance, perseverance character, and character hope. And then it goes on to say, hope doesn't put us to shame, or on there it says, hope does never disappoint us because God's love has been poured into our hearts through the Holy Spirit who's been given us. You know, James, who was actually one of Jesus' brothers, said, Consider it pure joy, my brothers and sisters, whenever you face trials of many kinds, because you know that the testing of your faith produces perseverance. And Paul, later on in Philippians, says, I want to know Christ. Yes, to know the power of his resurrection. Sure, we all want that, don't we? I would love to know the power of his resurrection that raised him for the dead. But actually, Paul says, I want to know about participation in his sufferings, becoming like him in his death, and so somehow attaining to the resurrection of the dead. Now, I think these passages are really challenging. They're not a kind of morbid, hooray, let's suffer, or, oh, it's all going to be great. There are how do we find God and how do we rejoice, not because of our suffering, but in our suffering. 
And as we learned when we looked at Job in the Old Testament, God doesn't put us through situations in order to punish us or to make us suffer. But when we're in those hard places, he promises that he's going to be with us. It's a bit of a shocking revelation, but God's priority is not that I have an easy life, but that I grow up to become more like him and that I grow closer to him. You know, I was chatting to a man that I know who had prostate cancer, and it was the cause of real stress and worry. And he decided that he was not going to be overcome by the worry, but he was going to trust God in the middle of it and to accept the medical help that he had. And so he was invited to go to hospital every day, Monday to Friday, I think for eight weeks at the same time. And so he rocked up at hospital on the Monday morning at the time, and then on the Tuesday, and he discovered that there were a whole waiting room full of people in exactly the same situation. And they were all worried and they were all stressed. But he'd chosen that he was going to find God in the middle of this. And when his treatment was over, the nurses said, that's the end of the treatment, we're not going to give you any more. You don't actually need any more treatment. But we wondered, would you fancy coming back on Monday? Because your attitude here has changed the atmosphere in the waiting room. And we would love our next set of patients to have what you've got. And so often we might pray, oh God, would you come and heal this cancer? And of course we do. But actually God was at work in that environment too. Jason Clark, who's a pastor of Sutton Vineyard Church, says, pain is too painful to waste. As followers of Jesus, we're invited into a life like his. And when we think about Jesus, that involves the pain and suffering of Good Friday, as well as the wonder and power and excitement of Easter Sunday. And it's really natural for us to want to, to cut short and to medicate against the pain. But Isaiah reminds us that Jesus was a man of, sorry, a man of sorrows and acquainted with grief, or here it says a man of suffering familiar with pain. You know, that pain can be physical and it can be mental. I've got a close friend who's going through um, cancer treatment at the moment and is physically in awful pain, and it's really distressing. And I was really struck as I was reading that this week, that actually in that place, she can encounter Jesus in a different way. I also remember hearing a Christian from the persecuted church speaking a couple of years ago. She talked about the persecution that she'd experienced. She didn't talk a lot about the torture, but she was in prison in terrible conditions, I think seven times. Um, she was beaten, there were all kinds of different things happened to her. She was separated from her family. And yet when she told her story, the thing that brought her to tears was not remembering the pain and the torture but it was actually remembering the intimacy with Jesus that she knew in that place. And I found that really humbling. So God does work his wonders in us, and sometimes that's with a solution that we love to see, like healing. But sometimes in that's making us more mature, it's making us more like him and even growing us closer to him in a way that's really hard for us to understand. So what else can we see about Jesus in this passage? Well, I think Jesus reveals that God sometimes asks us to take a step of faith. 
You know, he does this weird face mask thing, doesn't he? In fact, this week, it was a little bit wet, but I was contemplating taking one of my boys, and if you know our kids, you'll know which one, into the garden to see how much spit it makes to make a mud mask. But sadly, it was really raining heavily, so we didn't get out there and do it. But I think, you know, it's more the little kind of delicate thing, is it? It's more of a... I'm not going to make the noise. (laughs) You ready for this? (laughs) If Nigel was here, he'd make the noise. It's more of a gather up all your spit and spit it out to make the mud. Now, that is really weird, isn't it? You know, Jesus at other times said, be healed, you know, stand up, pick up your mat and walk. Why didn't he do it this time? I don't know. Sometimes God asks us to do things that might look foolish or unusual to other people. And I was thinking, you know, about our global partners in different parts of the world. People have gone from this church and they were sharing Jesus in other places who maybe have given up careers. And people are questioning, why on earth would you do that? Or maybe for you, it's something more local. Maybe you have given up a promotion so that you can prioritise to be with your family or to to prioritise in your marriage. And people are looking at you and going, that is nuts. You could be doing so much better in your career. But you know that to take that decision would mean that you were going to be away from home too much and that wouldn't be good for you. It might be that God's invited you to be generous when you feel like you haven't got very much to give away. Or you've been nudged to take the risk to invite people to Alpha or to a date night. Different things are a risk for different ones of us. And the thing about risk is we don't know how it's going to end up until we step out and do it. This man with that gunk all over his face had to go to this... It wasn't even given a bowl of water there to wash it off. He had to go to this pool and get it washed off. That looked pretty weird, I imagine, walking through the streets, getting someone to take him. But he had to take that step of faith in order to have the end result. So what else does Jesus reveal? I think he shows us that God has a bigger picture. You know, one of the things that the Pharisees were really bothered about this in verse 16, they said, this man is not from God. He doesn't keep the Sabbath. The Sabbath was a day of rest that God had invented. And the Pharisees, the religious people, had put loads of rules around it to make sure that they rested properly. So to rest properly, we're not going to do da 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 And it became so complicated and so difficult, and it was really hard to keep. And Jesus in that moment, although he was the one who'd actually invented the Sabbath, said, I am going to work today because this guy can't see and he needs to. So if working means giving his sight back, of course I'll do that. The bigger picture was he wanted to restore this man to God. And that's what Sabbath is about, isn't it? Sabbath is about rest so that we can reconnect with God. I read this week, Sabbath is such a blessing. Prioritize it. Indulge it. A great word. And the last thing that really struck me about this passage was that Jesus shows that God looks for us. Did you spot that? Right towards the end, verse 35. It says, Jesus heard that they, the Pharisees, had thrown the blind guy out. Well, he was conceited, couldn't he? <laughs> the, fan formerly, the man formerly known as blind had been thrown out. And when he found him, he said, when he found him, Jesus had gone looking for him. And that's what Paul told us last week, didn't he? God pursues us. God doesn't just leave us in some corner in our mess. God runs after us. And Jesus was showing that. God comes to find us. And maybe today you feel lost or a long way off. And if that's you, then God is seeking it out. And if you feel that you've come to the end of yourself, it's okay. 
just to collapse into his arms. In fact, that's the one, Charlie Mackesy drawing. This is sometimes called the forgiving father or the prodigal son. That guy's just at the end of himself, isn't he? All he can do is collapse into the arms of his father. And maybe that's what you need to do today. He loves you to tell him how you feel. He knows already, but he loves the conversation. And sometimes it's really hard to know what to say, and tears are the only way that we can respond. You know, we've got a phrase in our house, which is better out than in. And it's usually used when someone's been sick. But it's true for emotion and for tears too. It's really important that we find a place to express emotion in a healthy way. Otherwise, it can make us ill. And so where better in front of, than in front of the one who loves us, who created us? And so what? Jesus reveals what God is like. You know, in other parts of the Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, he shows us so many other things about the character of God. But I don't know what it is that's particularly struck you today. The things that I've seen are that he wants to display his works in us, that he's with us in our every day, that he sometimes requires us to take a step of faith or risk, that he has a bigger picture that he's working in, and that he's looking for us, he's pursuing us, he's running after us. And maybe you've seen something else this morning. Maybe God has shown you something else. But you know, when there's a revelation, when we see something, there always needs to be a response. And here in this story, we see two contrasting responses, don't we? We have the man who was born blind, who weirdly is the one who actually sees Jesus. And at the end, yeah, he does see him physically, but actually, he also comes to trust and believe. You know, he has to have confidence to trust in Jesus in order even to go to the pool, I think. Otherwise, he could have gone, that was a weird thing, and kind of rubbed the mud off. But he trusts Jesus. He takes the step of faith. He's had some revelation. He goes, yeah, I'm going to respond to this. Whereas the Pharisees, the guys who could physically see Jesus in the room, were actually blinded. They couldn't see him in their hearts because of their prejudices, their worldview, their culture. You know, they said, this can't be God because he's working on the Sabbath, or God's not doing things the way that we think he should, the way he expect he would, he would, so it can't be God. And they actually get very defensive, don't they? And they start slagging the guy off, and then they chuck him out the synagogue. And it is easy sometimes when we feel threatened to respond like that. But it's like their, their lenses were clouded. They couldn't see what was going on. You know, my dad used to be a doctor. And many, many years ago, um, he went to see an elderly lady. And she couldn't see. And she had various tests and examinations. And they really just couldn't work out what the problem was. Because in theory, she should be able to see. But in practice, the objects and faces across the room were just really unclear to her. And as my dad sat next to her bed and he was chatting about her family in different situations, he just took her glasses off the bedside cabinet. He probably couldn't do this now, but he got his white coat and he just cleaned the lenses of his glasses and popped them back on her nose. And she actually said, it's a miracle I can see! <laughs> and so this dear lady hadn't been able to see because her glasses were dirty. Her lenses were cloudy. Now, I'm sure that wouldn't happen now. This was a long time ago. My dad's retired many years now. 
But I just thought, you know, perhaps for some of us, we've been coming to church for a long time. We look in the direction of God and Jesus often. But maybe our glasses just got a bit cloudy. Maybe we're not actually seeing what he's showing us because of disappointment, because we prayed for somebody and they weren't healed, or because God didn't respond in the way that we really thought and hoped and wanted him to. But just because we're just weary, we're weary of doing the right thing. All kinds of reasons that our glasses might be misted up or cloudy. And so today we can choose to respond. We could be like the blind man, the man formerly known as blind, and choose to trust and believe and come towards Jesus. Or we can be like the Pharisees and go, actually, no, I'm quite happy with the way that I see. Thank you very much. And miss what God's doing amongst us. We've got a couple of different ways to respond today. We are going to have some sung worship, and we've also got communion to take. But before then, I would just love us to um, pause. And the, um, Chris is going to play a song. It's probably a familiar song to many of us, just as a reflective song. As a, just the words are going to come up on the screen. Um, can we have the communion slide next, in a few minutes, Chris? Is that okay? Thank you. Um, the words are going to come up on the screen. You could sing along if you want to, but I just suggest that you kind of sit where you are, And just ask the Lord, what is it that he wants to reveal to you? And prepare your heart in order to meet him in communion. And when we come to communion, there are different things to do. There's an opportunity for us to say sorry to God, to forgive other people, to remember what Jesus did, how he died, and how he rose again to pay the price for us for our sin. To remember and renew our covenant with him. You know, he promised he'd never leave us. He promised he'd always love us. And if you're a follower of Jesus, then you will have promised that you're going to follow him and give him your heart. And in this place of communion too, we can receive from him. We can renew our strength and receive help and courage and sustenance. And then we can look forward with expectation until he comes again. But just before the guys put the side on, the youth have come down. So why don't we get them to come in and take their seats and they can join in with us. Hi, youth. Welcome back, guys. Brilliant. Come and find yourself a seat. You've arrived at a perfect time. So we've been thinking about Jesus. We've been thinking about what he shows us about God, how he reveals God to us. And in just a minute, we're going to play a song on the screen just to sit and look at the words and listen to the words. And then when that comes to an end, um, we're going to share communion together. And we'll play the song through one time. And then after that, um, the bread and the wine are actually all at the back today. So if you're one of those who's been asked to serve, perhaps at the end of the song you can go to the back. And then Chris, could we just carry on just playing it through quietly? And so when the song's been through one time completely, then you can go and the bread and wine will be in four different stations If you're someone who knows and loves Jesus, then we invite you to join us. And what we do is we rip off some bread and dunk it in. And if you need gluten-free bread, that will be over here. Is that okay? So we're going to listen to the song, reflect, and then once it's been through once, go and take bread and wine and connect with Jesus and see what he wants to reveal to you. Thank you.